Your affections will dictate how you act, what you do, where you go in your life. You will abandon everything for what you are affectionate for. Today we're going to go through a text that talks about Mary, the sister of Lazarus, when she pours out this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and washes it with her hair. It's this outpouring of affections and emotions. When you really get the gospel, when you understand God's affection towards you, it overflows into your life, your actions, your words, your lifestyle, your attitude. We, as followers of Jesus, are called to live lives that are affectionate for Jesus and that glorify God and that we find much joy in. So it should go like this. By God's grace, we understand how affectionate God is for us. How do we understand that practically? Because he sent his son, who was the second person of the Trinity, who eternally existed, who was God, to take on flesh and die a brutal death. That's a testament to that God is affectionate for us, that he passionately loves us. So he's poured that out. Now, is that deserved? Is that because there were a few good people on earth? No, the Bible teaches us that's because it was undeserved, that we were, un- we were sinners, and that it was because of God's love, not because of our love. So he pours out his love on us. What are we called to do? We are called to respond by putting our affections, by pouring out our emotions, by treasuring Christ above all. Now here's the key. Some of us wanted to stop there. You have to love others too. Some of us want to move to a hut in the woods and just like burn something, just start reading books, right? I'm loving God. You can't love God and not love other people. You can't do it. You can't love God and hate your brother. So what I want you to hear with the big idea today is we're called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is rooted in his love for us. And that should overflow to loving others. Now, I'm not talking about loving those who love you. It's easy to love those who reciprocate the love towards you. Jesus says even the Pharisees do, right? Even the corrupt people love people who love them. It's loving people who are insensitive to you. It's loving people who curse you. And it's loving people who talk about you. That's what distinguishes Christianity from the rest. You know, Hannibal Lecter loved Clarice. All right? Even the most corrupt person loves people who love them. The thing that distinguishes Christianity from other religions is that we are called to love those who don't love us. Now, many of you know that Joe Vec has been in the hospital for a while now, okay? He's back in the hospital, but we're still hopeful. He's just going to be in a few days. They had to drain out an infection. But it's been a trying time for me and my family. It's been most trying for Joe, naturally. But that overflows to the people who love him. So during the time of the fourth surgery where we were waiting for Joe to come out, we're all sitting in the ICU room, in the waiting room. And Natalie just had a tremendous amount of nervous energy. I'm talking like up and down. She looked like me on a regular day. You know, she's back and forth pacing. And, I mean, she was just, her nervous energy was through the roof. 
But right next to the ICU room, they had this hallway where you could see some of the patients coming out. And without her realizing it, she was pacing back and forth. And out of the corner of her eye, she saw them bring Joe out of the operation and go by her. She wasn't planning it. It just happened. She went bananas. She jumped up. She got loud. She's bearing witness, proclaiming it in the hallways, telling everyone, and me, being civil, not to get embarrassed. Come on, settle down. You can't be doing that in the hospital, right? Settle down. I hate when attention gets drawn to myself in public. I want to go crazy. I'm just like, stop. When she's talking loud, I mean, we've had established. Stop talking loud. People are looking at us, right? She has this outpouring of affection and emotion because she loved her father so much. We can't stop ourselves when we are truly affectionate for something. It just pours out of us. This is what happens to Mary today. She has so much affection for Jesus as a Savior. She doesn't care about her public image. She doesn't care what people think about her. She's showing her affection for Jesus, and it's rooted in his love for her. He had raised her brother from the dead. He had declared a gospel. She doesn't care what other people think. And her affections pour out for Jesus. And I want you guys to hear that in the same way, I'm not saying you're going to be pouring out perfume, pouring out cologne, wiping people's feet, doing the whole hair thing. But I'm saying your affections for Christ that are rooted in his affections for you should overflow into a life lived for his glory and your joy. So let's start in verse 1. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. I want us to understand a very important thing that is very relevant in today's culture. So every message, what's so important? It's important that this is relevant to us. I can get up here and expound on the text and tell you what Jesus did, but you can walk out of here saying, who cares? What does that matter in today's culture? I want you guys to know how relevant it is. It is today. Jesus was an outlaw in his time. He was a holy rebel. He was not a widely accepted voice in his culture. They wanted to murder him. At this point, if you read the previous verses, we know that the Pharisees have ordered, if anyone knows anything about Jesus, let us know because we want to find him, we want to try him, and we want to murder him. They're plotting to kill him. Why do I say that? I don't want you to think that it is foreign for you to be persecuted for standing with Jesus in today's culture. I want you to think something's wrong if you haven't been persecuted for standing with Jesus. In today's culture, people applaud people for coming out sexually immoral while they persecute people who come out as standing with Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are not a church that cowers back from standing with Jesus. You see how twisted it is? People call evil righteousness, and they cheer, and they have parades. But when someone comes out, like one of the ESPN analysis did this week, and says, I stand with Jesus. He wasn't being hateful. He wasn't being nasty. He was saying, I love everyone. But I'm telling you what is holy and what God says is right. And he got so much persecution. His Twitter followers went down by thousands. Reason I'm telling you this pastorally because I don't want you to think it's strange when you get persecuted. I want you to think something's wrong when you don't. That means that 
No one really knows where you stand. No one really knows you stand with Jesus. Do people at your job know you stand with Jesus? Are you afraid to get persecuted? It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. I was reading a story this week, Overflow of Affection. There was a track team in Texas. They're running the relay trying to make the states. The guy gets that last thing. He runs. He wins. And he points to the sky. This is all he did. He points to the sky to give God his due, to say, it's all about you. You give me the strength. They got disqualified. They called it taunting. Disqualified. This is what it's coming to. We're cheering for evil, and we're disqualifying people because they're pointing to heaven? Don't be deceived. The enemy is at work, and don't be a coward, because cowards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Preaching heavy. You're getting serious out here. But I want you guys to know pastorally, I'd be lying to you. I'd be trying to get people in the seats who just want to hear what you want to hear. If I didn't tell you, you'd be persecuted. Jesus was persecuted and murder, murdered. We have to re- remember, society hated Jesus. They murdered him. You will be persecuted too if you stand with Jesus. So Jesus is going to have dinner. Many people thought he's not even going to show up at the feast. Because he's afraid that they're going to grab him and they're going to crucify him. Jesus was not a coward. His plan was to come to serve and to die. That was his mission. He wasn't avoiding the feast. He wasn't avoiding people. His mission was to be persecuted, be killed. So he's going to go just have a little get-together before. He's going to go over um, Lazarus' place. And I can only imagine how good you get hosted when you've raised someone's sibling from the dead. You know, so I've had some good... Greetings when I've been hosted, but I never raised no one from the dead. You know what I mean? You come in, I mean, by the time he finished his bread, there must have been another loaf in his hand. By the time, the, I mean, the place must have been souped up. I want you guys to know, this is a great environment Jesus is walking in. He's the hero. He's the object of the greatest affection. He has a, a place of high honor at Lazarus' place. So, verse 2, it says, They gave him dinner there, Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. So you imagine the environment is unbelievable. People are having a blast. I, I'm trying to think about what the conversation is like, but how do you talk with someone you raised from the dead? Jesus, remember I raised me from the dead? Oh, yeah, that's great. Now, I just want to make the point that Martha is there to serve Jesus. She's there to host Jesus. She's there to care for him. She's there to pour out her affection. As Christians, we can share the gospel and love people so much just by being good hosts. Christians should be the best hosts. They should care for people and wait on them and serve them and make much of them and prepare food for them and offer and be generous to them. And Martha is doing that because that's an overflow of her affection for Jesus. This is a great environment. It's joyous. And Jesus is the object of affection. Reading in verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. So Mary, Lazarus' sister, takes a pound of expensive ointment. So a half a liter, 
of expensive women. So I looked up, well, what's expensive perfume? I don't know this stuff. I wore Dracar in the 90s, and I thought I was a bad man when I put Dracar on, but that was like 20 bucks. So I said, what is expensive? Cool water, too. Cool water was no joke. Them old brothers love the Old Spice. You're smelling like an old man. But I hope no one wears Old Spice who was young. I apologize. But I looked up, what is expensive perfume? And I got this stuff called Clive Christian. Has anyone heard about Clive Christian? I read the description. They were like, we took 170 rose petals to make one drop. I said, who cares? But I'm not a woman, so I don't know. But it only costs $1,700, okay? Now, given, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, that's a mortgage payment, actually. Mortgage costs more. But $1,700, to me, that's a lot of money per perfume. Times that times about 30 or 40. That's how much this ointment cost that Mary was pouring out on Jesus' feet. 300 denarii. So a denarii was a working man's, a day's labor for a working man. It was roughly a year's wages that she's pouring out on his feet. Now I want to see what reaction you would have. Because Judas, and we'll get to it, has a reaction. What are you doing with that 40 grand pouring it over Jesus' feet? That could be used something for something better. Are you like Mary, realize that the most valuable thing there is not perfume and not money, it's Jesus. She pours it out. She doesn't even say, let's put a quarter of it and save it for later. She pours it all out over his feet. So maybe there's a paper towel around to wipe his feet with, right? She takes her hair and wipes his feet with her hair. Now, it's considered that you were a loose woman if you even took your hair down in that day. So if you didn't have it up or something like that. So she's making a statement. I don't care right now. He is my savior. She lets her hair down and she wipes his feet. So a few things are happening. One is she understands the value of Jesus. And he's so much more valuable than a year's wages. Another thing, she understands the kingdom of Jesus. She understands that she's doing this menial task. She's wiping his feet, that the kingdom of God is about serving. She gets it. She gets it's all about Jesus and his value, and she gets it's all about being a servant. It's amazing the affection and the understanding that is overflowing from Mary right now. And it says the house was filled with the fragrance. You know how some smells make you remember something? You smell that, and you remember something. So Natalie, when we first dated, I remember her perfume. You know what I mean? I remember how she smelled. We first dated. It's new love. Everything's flirtatious. Everything's cute. Give it about 10 years. That changes. I'm sorry. I'm only kidding. I love her. No, but I just remember that time. Is a, it's a real honeymoon stage. You got the perfume. You found your love. You're just enjoying life. You're enjoying one another. And it reminds me of that beautiful time in my life where I met the woman who I spend the rest of my life with. That smell reminds me of that. The fall in New England reminds me of when we start school again. Like in high school, I just remember you got your brand new outfit on. You know, you go there. You got your outfit. You're talking to your friends you haven't seen all summer. Every time I smell the fall, it reminds me of that. Now, there's some smells that remind you of bad things. 
Every time I smell vodka to this day, I get sick. Now, I'm sorry to admit what I have to admit to you next, but it's all about grace. When I was a junior in high school, somehow I ended up with an Armenian soccer team partying. Because my buddy knew the Armenian soccer team. I end up at an Armenian wedding. I'm not invited. I'm partying at this Armenian wedding, and we're down in vodka. Once again, young ones, this is very sinful. I don't want this to be your testimony, but I must proclaim my foolishness. We're down in vodka. I end up falling to my knees in the middle of the hallway, someone's wedding, I don't even know. Yes, this is your pastor. And throwing up. Now, please don't leave the church because of this. I cannot smell vodka to this day without remembering that time when I got absolutely sick. Fragrances, smell, remind us of certain things. Now, every time someone smelled this ointment that Mary poured out on Jesus' feet, they remembered the affection and the love that Mary had for Jesus as one of her disciples. But to some, it was the fragrance of life. So some, they said this was a great thing. She's doing the right thing. Jesus is of most value, and they love that fragrance. I mean, it permeated the whole room. To others, it was the fragrance of death. To those who did not have their affections on Jesus. So right now, we get to see the response of Judas, whose affections were on money. One of the leading things that will compete for your affections is money. People no longer go where Jesus tells them to go. They go where the money is. Money dictates their life decisions. Money dictates their happiness. That's because they find more security, more pleasure, more joy in money than they do in Jesus. And so you're going to get to see someone now whose highest affection is on money. That's his treasure. That's what makes him happy. That's what helps him get the things he wants, the things he needs. And so here we go. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So here we get a view into who Judas was. First of all, we need to know Judas was an able man. He knew how to take care of finances. He was the person they put in charge to care of those things and to make sure there was enough for the time. He was an able man. But he was a corrupt man. He took the money bag and would actually steal from the money bag. So this small band of followers of Jesus, with Jesus as a leader, would get some money given to him. Judas was in charge of it. He was skimming off the top. Now, You've got to put this all together. Imagine a year's wages going into the money bag for Judas to take care of. It's a little more skimming off the top, right? He probably saw, he didn't see that Jesus is so valuable. She's doing something to worship Jesus, make much of Jesus. He said, that's $40,000. I could have skimmed 10 off the top for me. He said, why are you doing this? And we see that his affections ultimately led to his betrayal of Jesus. 
He had Jesus right in front of him. This is what I want you to understand. So many of us, we have the gospel right in front of us. We have Jesus right in front of us. And we exchange his love, his truth, the joy that comes in him for passing things. Imagine exchanging your affections and putting them on money instead of the creator of the earth, your savior. This is what Judas is doing right now. That's unbelievable. Now, he doesn't say he's doing it because he wants to skim off the money bag. He said this can be given and used to take care of the poor. Now, a lot of us make this mistake, too. We think that the church should be all about just giving to the poor. That's what we should do. Don't even come to church anymore. Don't even open the scriptures. Just use all your money to take care of the poor. You know that's not what the church is all about. The church is all about making much of Jesus and proclaiming his gospel. And when people make much of Jesus and proclaim his gospel, they become more like Jesus and they give to the poor. So giving to the poor is a byproduct of knowing Jesus, valuing Jesus, and worshiping Jesus. That's an overflow of that. Some people just go, stop going to church altogether and you just see them running on Sundays, just supporting people. That's great. But you should be valuing Jesus on Sunday morning. You should be showing your affections for Jesus. And when you show your affections for Jesus, you'll be at more charitable events. And once again, you guys heard me say, we're writing checks to people. We're caring for people. But Jesus is our greatest affection. And when he's your greatest affection, everything else falls into place. Moving on. What's Jesus' response to this? Does he think that Mary should have used that $40,000 for the poor? Does he think that Mary was doing a foolish act? No. He says to Judas, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. So there you get the, if you thought I was being too hard on the poor, you get to hear Jesus, what he said on it. He said, I totally affirm that what she did was right. I totally affirm that that $40,000 being poured out on my feet, that was the right act because she gets it and she got it right. I don't want to get it until she keep me for the day of my burial because I could preach a whole message on that. I want us to focus on the affection part of it right now. The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus was only here for 33 years. Therefore, there were only so many times where his disciples, people who loved him, people who worshipped him, could perform acts like this that showed how valuable Jesus was. Saying, the poor will always be with you, but there's only so much time where people can show and get their affections right and pour out their love for me as a testament to the world. To this day, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this act. That's how powerful it was. That's how powerful it was. It's still affecting us as followers of Jesus today because Mary's affections were in the right place. So I want to talk to you about what your affections should not be on. And I want to use the text. I felt like I could have did about a list of 10 things our affections shouldn't primarily be on. So our affections, it's okay to be affectionate for things. But when they become the object of your primary affections, they become what we call an idol. There's something that you 
deem more valuable than God. You deem more worthy to give up your life. You deem more worthy to give your time, energy, and resources. That's when it becomes an idol. When you are more affectionate than something for Jesus, it is called an idol, and it needs to be cast down. I tell you this pastorally because repentance is a big part of a follower of Jesus' life. And so I say this in love to you guys, but I'm just going to hit one that the text talks about. I'm just going to hit money. Like I said, it's sad to see how many people allow money to dictate where they go instead of where they are called. Um, like I said, our affections are on money because we think that it brings more stability, joy, and pleasure than Jesus brings. Let me tell you, it doesn't. Things are passing away, guys. You know, this life is just a breath. This life should be a place where we just show off how valuable Jesus is to us in this church. What does your checkbook declare about your affections? If someone looked at your checkbook, would it show off the glory of God? Would it? I'm telling you, you can find out what's your idol and what you are most affectionate for by looking at your checkbook. So you can go home and do that as a practice today and have some fun. Let's find our idol day. Pastor Rachel Rowe, let's not be like that. Let's not be like that. Don't let your lives go by and you are not declaring the value of Jesus and this church. So just like loving God and loving others go together, you can't love Jesus and not love his church. You know, there's people who stay home all the time and say, I love Jesus. What happened to his church? You know, that's saying I love my family, but I don't spend time with my bride. What I'm saying is, your affections need to be on God, not money. And that's why Jesus, when he talks about battle, is your God... Am I your God? Is money your God? He knows what what competes for our affections. Let us be known as a generous people, a people who give a God and give to his church, a people who love God and love others. What should your affections be on? They should be on God. But why is the point I want to get at? Because some people walk out and say, why should my affections be on God? Why should they be on Jesus? Because of his affections for you. Nothing starts with us. We live in a secular, secular society that says everything starts with us, right? Look inside yourself. Find the willpower. Yeah, we found the willpower, all right? We're making atomic bombs. We're killing everybody. It, like, this is a nightmare. It has to start with Jesus and what he has done. It has to start with his affections for us and the gospel and that it's finished. And we have to respond by having affections for him. He is our treasure. He is what we should value above all. I want you to feel the weight of what Jesus has done for you. Now, like I said, it doesn't stop there. If you live in greater Boston, you have a great opportunity to love people who don't love you every day. Now, when someone gives you the finger when you're driving, are you a person that gives the finger down and tra- back and tracks them down, and that becomes your dinner conversation that night? Are you a person that prays for them? Are you a person who only loves those who love you? Because that love is not rooted in Christ. That love is rooted in ourselves, and it only goes so far. 
Jesus' love is unconditional. And believe me, I've had my personal battle lately. I, there's part of you sometimes that say, I just want to isolate myself. I'm, all, I'm being honest with you guys. I, there's part of me that feels like I could be perfectly happy just taking me and my family moving somewhere and not having to deal with anyone. That's the fleshly part of me. You know, because people are a hassle, aren't they? Every relationship has its issues. I'm like, why can't everyone be perfect like me? Believe me, I have my issues too. But that, that's how we feel. Instead of responding with love, like Jesus says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you, turn the other cheek, we become like the mafia. You only love those who love you. You keep your family close. Like, that's not the gospel. The gospel, uh, we're supposed to be spreading the fragrance of Christ by people seeing something different from us. You have an opportunity. I feel like I wrote a blog on this, this week about rewarding love and loving people who don't love you. I feel like right after, I, I just had all these opportunities to love people who didn't love me. Part of me feels like, stop writing blogs so you don't get tested. And part of me feels like, man, this is tough. I know it's tough to love people who don't love you. But when you look to Jesus and you see that he's up on a cross, he's praying for the people who are murdering him. He's interceding and saying, Father God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And you know a lot of times that's the case when people hurt you. They don't know what they're doing. We don't know what we're doing when we're hurting each other. We're so fallen that you know how many times I talk about things, about things that bother me about other people, and I do the same thing to other people? You know how many, as a pastor, I listen to people say, you believe they're acting like that? And I think, well, last month you were just treating someone else like that. We need to be, our affections need to be established in the gospel. Then we will respond rightly to others, to love God and to love others. Are you someone who spreads the fragrance of Christ? Are you someone who people want to be around? Guess what? Sometimes people don't want to be around us. And we love to think everyone loves us. It was a I've been figuring out the last 10 years, everyone doesn't like me. That was a tough thing for me. <laughs> but do you spread the fragrance of Christ or do you spread the fragrance of something else? Are you a person that gossips a lot? Are you a dramatic person? Are you someone who criticizes a lot? Because when that happens, people don't want to be around you. And that's not what Christianity is all about. But if you're spreading the fragrance of Christ, if people know that you're not going to judge them, if people know that you're praying for them even when they're insensitive to you, if people know that you're encouraged, if people know that you're not a drama person and always there's a new conflict every week, something's bothering you, you're upset about something, if you're not like that, people are going to be wanting around you because that kind of stuff brings life. And personally, we want to be people who others want to be around that we bring life. And we want to be a community that brings life. And finally, are you affectionate for the people you've been called to? You guys live in greater Boston. How many of God's called you to be affectionate for the people you're around? Do you love them or they don't meet your standards? Because as a church, I'll tell you, Part of our calling, one is to exalt Jesus and make much of him. But an outflow of that, we're called to love people in Boston 
whether they give us the finger, whether they're unhappy. And listen, I know there's something wrong with us. Believe me. I love Boston. It's my home. But everyone you love has issues. (laughs) Everyone you love has issues. From your family to your wife to your kids to your close friends, we all have issues. I'm asking you to be affectionate for these people, affectionate enough to spread the fragrance of Christ. I know it's amazing. We're not helpful around here. Great about everyone's just rude. I emailed some guy. He's from like one of the nice places, like I don't know Wisconsin or something. And I felt like being a Bostonian. I emailed it. He's like the assistant president. And the secretary was taking care of a trip that we're going on with Acts 29. And I emailed him, and I was wrong. And I was having the Bostonian, like, this guy, I didn't want to bother him. I bothered his day. I messed up his day because I shot him an email that he's going to be like, this guy's below me. Why is he emailing me? The guy emailed me like an hour later and said, no, that's okay. Email anything. I'm here to help. I said, what is this? Smells like the fragrance of Christ up in here. You're here to help me? You're not here to be rude and tell me that's not your job. I know I'm from Boston and I can't even get it right. Like, I'm so used to people being like, that ain't my job. I saw a picture of a guy from Boston. He's, he's doing the line down the street, right? There's a branch in the street. With the street line, he goes around the branch. That ain't my job. So now every time you go to that road, there's just the thing where the branch was because he said he's not going to move the branch. It's not his job. That's how helpful we are in Boston. I know we're not lovable, but guess not? We weren't lovable when Jesus died for us. I need you guys to love these people. I need you to commit your life to this, to loving people, because not too many people love in Boston. They're planting churches and getting all transient people, and God bless them, but they're not reaching Boston because many people deem Boston unlovable. I need you to love greater Bostonians. I need you to pray for them. I need you to share the gospel at work, Jesus calls us to do it. I need you to share it among your friends. And we're going to see God's glory. And we're going to see him save many souls. Because he loves greater Boston. Believe it or not. So Restoration Road. We get to rejoice today. We get to rejoice because God is so affectionate for us that he sent his son. And we respond by making him our highest treasure because He made us clean. He made us right. We're in a right relationship with God, and the rewards we get now and for the future, we can't even fathom. And we need to allow that love to overflow, to love others with everything we are. Amen. Let's pray.